Good Fun Podcast Network. This podcast is brought to you by our friends at Linode. Whether you're working on a personal project or managing your enterprise's infrastructure, Linode has the pricing, support, and scale you need to take your project to the next level. Get started on Linode today by going to linode.com slash remote ruby. This is Remote Ruby. Have you any remote ideas to the meaning of the word? What's up, y'all? Welcome back, Jason. We have an actual intro this week. Yeah, that's. I heard y'all didn't know what to do, I guess, when you started. Yeah, we just fall apart without you, dude. Yeah, right. <laughs> I don't even remember what I said. My sister-in-law and my nephew came to stay with us for a little while, and that was all happening last week. My nephew's mm. four and Becca's three, so they were going ham on the house. And we hadn't <laughs> seen anyone in over a month and a half in like in our house. So we were uh, adapting. Yeah. yeah. Oh man. What's what's new with you guys this week? What is today? Today's Thursday. I've been needing to do some stuff on Hope Grid. I've been putting off to just have fun in my life. So mm. playing games and programming just silly things. What do you have to do on on Hope Grid? A lot of stuff. We like we've been getting a lot of feedback on essentially just like how churches do like intake for benevolence. Gosh, that's a lot of words. So essentially, like when somebody comes and asks for help, like they have different churches have different processes for how they intake that information. Mm-hmm. And so we're gonna try and like make it more customizable so it fits like different churches' workflow in terms of like the information they get from people and stuff. So. Mm. That's kind of cool. Yeah. So uh, it's it's a pretty big update too. So, you know, when something like that big is staring you in the face, you're like, could work on this now or I go play PlayStation. So. Yeah. Been playing anything good on the PlayStation? I own I own one game on my PlayStation. Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, that's not true. I own two games. I own 2K17 and 2K20. So I basically just own a PlayStation so I can play basketball. <laughs> That's fun. I respect that. <laughs> We've had some hardcore Animal Crossing going on over here. So <laughs> I am not even allowed to play the the Switch anymore. Fiance's got it. Just selling turnips and whatever, like catching bugs, doing chores, paying her mortgage. <laughs> <laughs> Forgot about that because we paired a couple of weekends ago. And I like you had your headphones on, and I could like still hear her like yelling. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> yep. So yeah, still still going. And it's one of those games that's like they take some elements from you know how mobile games are like okay now you you did this thing now you have to wait five minutes then you do it again you wait fifteen minutes and it's got the same sort of situation going on where like you'll do something like buy a house upgrade and you have to wait till the next day in real life to actually get your house, you know? And like some of the things take like 30 days in real life to happen in game. And, you know, it's crazy, but like, it's also fascinating because you can play. So like we have two accounts in the switch and we play the same game, but it like puts us on the same Island. So the little characters in the game are like, Hey, what's exit three doing? Like we haven't seen him in a while and they'll like mention you in the conversation, which is kind of funny. So she'll be like, 
whoa, look at this. And like, you know, it, it's interesting to see that they try and make it like a little, I don't know, it feels like more real conversation that way, which is kind of neat. So yeah, it, it's kind of fun to like, like watch that game, like how they designed it and everything. Just thinking about like, you know, they, they have the like this stock market, S-T-A-L-K, where you sell your turnips. So only on Sundays can you buy turnips and then you can sell them any day of the rest of the week. And you're just trying to make a profit. So then like you can go to other people's islands and buy or sell turnips or whatever. And they might have different prices. So you need to have more friends so you can go like, you know, see various fluctuations in prices and stuff. And it's just kind of cool to see like the game design behind it. Cause it like, you're literally just doing chores the whole time. And like, it's a pain in the butt, you know, to do anything, but like weirdly it's kind of, kind of entertaining, you know, to like just sit there and chop trees down for like an hour or whatever. It's pretty funny, but maybe it's time to order a second switch. Dude, they're sold out like in, across the entire country. Really? Unless you get like a switch light, which nobody wants because it won't. I think those don't connect to your TV, but they've been, they've been sold out because Brooke's sister wants one and has wanted one since, you know, the basically the lockdown. They are not around at all. And she like, the other day she called Brooke and was like, I'm on my way to Target because online it says they have limited quantities, which we don't know how many it is. So she drove like, she sped to get to Target. And by the time they got there or she got there, they just sold the last one they had. She was like, oh no, there's one like 20 minutes away at this other Target. So I'm going to try and get that. And like, it was gone too. So they, they are like being sold way overpriced now on Craigslist and stuff because people are, you know, selling them for profit. So yeah, good luck finding one. I do have a Switch, but the only games I have on it are like Mario Kart, Mario Tennis. Yeah. Uh, Well, 2K18, but 2K basketball on a Switch was like, (laughs) it was trash. I was like, oh, this will replace my PlayStation. And like SNES had better basketball graphics dude it's all about that nba jam (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah that would be cool dude i always i always thought it was funny there was like the if you put your initials in i forget what they were but you could play as bill clinton and there's a couple other like funny characters you could unlock (laughs) i miss cheat codes yeah when i I had a triple play 2000 which was a major league baseball game for your playstation and I knew that, like, I had, it was, like, muscle memory, the, like, 13-key combination <laughs> on my PlayStation to get, like, a grand, like, a home run every time. Oh, man. I miss those days. Yeah, me too. Like, Age of Empires, you have, like, all this, like, you know, really old technology, but then you type in your cheat code and you have a car with a rocket launcher on it. And, <laughs> like, you know, so much fun to just, like, play games like that on God Mode or whatever. I thought I was on the dark web back then because I was going to cheat code sites. I was like, FBI is going to come, <laughs> come get me. Yeah. Oh man. And those were some pretty sketchy sites too. <laughs> uh, Andrew, what's the same? Anything new? Not too much. And I was thinking in my head, it's like, it's pretty funny that y'all are like playing these wholesome games and I'm out here murdering everything that moves and, Red Dead Redemption. 
It's a good game. I I played that for a lot when it came out, and then I haven't really touched it since. Have they released yeah. any like new updates to it? They have. They've released several new ones, but I mean, just kind of like you were describing with Animal Crossing, it's literally you could just call it Chore Simulator 2020. <laughs> you know, yeah. it's like oh, deliver this, go pick this, go fish, and the online. I I have like roommates and friends and we'll all get online together and they there's just not enough to do like in grand theft auto there's so much you can do like there's heists and there's all these mini games and stuff like that and there's just they just don't have that in red dead and it's really unfortunate because of how awesome of a game it is yeah i i felt the same way like go hunt rabbits or squirrels or whatever for four hours and you know ride back and forth across the map seven times and all that stuff was like okay but like at the end of this i get one item and that's it you know like it it did get pretty repetitive that's the weird thing about grand theft auto is like there's still limited stuff that you can do but like it is replayable like really really well have you seen the the role-playing servers on grand theft auto i don't know if i've seen the servers but i've been watching a lot of grand theft auto youtube Uh, okay yeah guy i really like his name is it's real 85 and he does like skits in grand theft auto and they're hilarious (laughs) dude i i was watching summit on twitch and he got into Grand Theft Auto role playing, and like you're not allowed to reference the real world in the game at all. So you like have to get a job and you know do something like an actual actual work for people in the game. And so every time like you have to step away from your computer, you have to tell people like I'm going to be in my own head for a minute, and like you can't talk about real life at all. And it's so funny to watch that. So they'll like go and, you know, do some elaborate thing to rob a bank or whatever. But you can be watching Twitch at the same time. The police get alerted about it and they're playing, they're role playing on Twitch too. And so you can watch the streams together and watch like both sides of it. It is, it is awesome. It's so much fun to watch that. But yeah, it's like, it's like real life simulator, which is pretty hilarious. Like that's entertaining, I guess. You know, you wouldn't expect it, but it's, it is pretty hilarious. So, well, I guess uh, we talk Ruby. Yeah. What's, what's new in, in Ruby world? I got, I did major update to go rails. It took like four weeks or something of uh, roughly full-time work to go convert everything over from bootstrap to tailwind and drop jQuery and add purge CSS and whatever. It was kind of a nightmare, but so many of those like, I mean, we're talking an app that I like really half half baked seven years ago or whatever when I built it originally, like ripping out all of those views, you know, pulling out partials and like just replacing all that stuff, removing ransack and using like PG search and all those things that were like, oh, I'll fix it later. It was really nice to go through and like clean up the entire app. But one thing that's like I noticed is the HTML and like the CSS for Tailwind UI and stuff is it's really polished, but it's like requires because it's so polished, it requires like 10 times more divs. It feels like because you have to like 
properly wrap things so that the CSS will work correctly on, you know, mobile or, you know, you have to wrap your buttons in a button group, like a span tag. And you kind of just do that all the time rather than like when you just, when you need it. And it's like, it's like somebody went through the hard work of figuring out all the edge cases and properly doing it. Whereas like, I know for me, I'm like, I just throw crap at the wall until it works. I'm like, perfect. And Yeah. Not semantically correct. Right. And so that was like, that was probably the hardest part about all this stuff was like, I'm going to copy their example and I mostly understand how it works, you know, but sometimes there's like relative things or whatever that don't quite work when I drop it in the app or change it or whatever. And then like, I'll get it working on desktop and then I'll go check it out on mobile. And I've like completely screwed up the mobile stuff. And then I'm like, uh, I should have done it there first and then worked backwards. So it took a long time to get through things and there's still a ton of like problems with it and missing stuff. But, you know, it, I'm really happy with how it turned out and like Tailwind UI is awesome. Like yeah. nothing bad to say about it. It's, it. It makes building anything really easy. And then when you can rely on, you know, purge CSS to get rid of everything you didn't need, it's it's perfect, you know? Like, it, it feels way better to build something with Tailwind than Bootstrap, where you're, like, trying to unwind Bootstrap as you go and need to customize it. This is, like, going in the opposite direction, which I really liked. It was pretty fun. But have you guys seen that Sizzy browser? I used yeah. it for a little while. I just, yeah, I didn't want to pay a subscription. I didn't use it enough to justify paying a subscription for it. Yeah, that's kind of where I'm at. Like, I'm basically going through this and like Chrome and doing the responsive stuff and switching and resizing. It was just, it was awful, like not fun to do that. And it was like, okay, I should have bought Sizzy three weeks ago when I started this because it would have been really worth it. But now that I'm done... I don't have any need to pay for it anymore, you know? Right. So it's kind of an interesting thing where the product maybe fits a use case if like you're just a front-end developer all the time, but the pricing doesn't quite make sense for, I guess, someone like us who like does some of that, you know, implementing design, but not all the time. But I, I messaged you, but I was Googling something and it leads to the GoRails forum. And I like audibly was like, whoa, like it looks so different. <laughs> it looks really good. Like it felt good to be there. Cool. Yeah, man. I was like, one of the things that I did was I was trying to add more caching in and stuff in the forums and comments and stuff were one of those things that I made some improvements to. But like, so this is one of the complicated things, but like you can generate a Rails form without an authenticity token. So in the nested comments, I have it actually cache the comment and its children. And so it'll go like, you know, bust the cache up the stack and whatever when you reply to one or it it was supposed to. I launched it and I replied to someone and I didn't see my post. So I replied again and I thought maybe I got caught in the spam filter. And then I was like, no, that can't be it. And then I look at the caching and it was like, nope, it's just cached and it's it's there, but you can't see it. So I had to fix that. And um, one cool thing was like the JavaScript, I got to move it all to stimulus and stuff. But as part of that 
so the reply form like is on the page just hidden and when you click reply it'll just show it so i wanted to be able to cache that though because i i wanted it to you know like be there and not have to render all that dynamically because you can't do that with nesting unless it's cacheable so i ended up pulling that form out or removing the like authenticity token in there so I can cache it. And then the Rails remote forms will automatically insert the authenticity token from the meta tag. So it all works, which is pretty cool. And then there was something that I did with the, I have a meta tag if you're signed in. So the current user is in, in the meta tag. So when you, I think when you click reply, it'll check the meta tag see if you're signed in show you the form. And if you're not signed in, it'll just redirect you to sign up or log in, which is kind of cool. Like, So there's really all the logics in the JavaScript, basically in like a, you know, a one if statement stimulus controller, which is kind of fun. It just like cleaned up my JavaScript so much. I'm like really happy with it. So yeah, that was an exhausting amount of work. It felt like it was never going to end. So I just like launched it Sunday and I was like, it's close enough. I'll fix whatever I need to. And people were real quick to, you know, point out things I missed and stuff I didn't even notice and whatever. And I'm still fixing a few things here and there. But yeah, it is good to have that over with. But I don't think I'm going to use anything but stimulus going forward. I, I do think, pretty sure I used Alpine. I was about to ask. For drop downs and stuff that were like straight from Tailwind UI. You saw they removed that though, right? Did they? Yeah, so now there's a little label that says requires JS on the UI components. Mm-hmm. Uh, because my friend is implementing it for his company and was like having trouble with Alpine. I was like, well, let's go copy the example again and repaste it. And it was like not there anymore. Interesting. Yeah, that's too bad because like, the examples with JavaScript were really handy, but I understand why they don't do that. I just, I feel like they should have two examples, like an Alpine example and the plain one, you know, cause that is, you can go build it in stimulus or view or whatever, of course, but being able to like see a quick reference was really handy to me. But it seemed like a very controversial thing. Like everybody wanted it to be pre-written in whatever JavaScript they wanted to use. When I was like looking at the comments on Twitter and whatever, the Discord. But, you know, other than that, like it's pretty sweet. Yeah, now there's comments, which are cool because what they do is they show you what you should change the different classes to be. So like, Mm. and they're just, it's like inline HTML comments in the, components so it's like entering transition ease out duration 100 from opacity zero like it's really cool uh so it wasn't like they just removed it and were like yolo interesting Uh, so i guess you're supposed to you just have javascript to add those like when you are entering so like do you have to write your own events for like is that for entering mean like a hover event I wonder, it, it just makes it not as easy to translate to, you know, code that you need, which I find probably a little frustrating, but maybe they'll get around to adding JavaScript. That's always been the biggest, you know, the biggest pain point of, of Tailwind, I think, is like there is no JavaScript and everybody's used to, I get 
tooltips. I get modals and whatever else for right. free from you know Bootstrap, and it is something that requires a lot more manual labor on to use Tailwind just to to use it to build buttons and stuff, anyways. But you know, taking a step back and and doing a drop down or whatever is like can't just copy paste that anymore, which. Luckily, I guess I got this done before they made that change because I, I used that in several places. So I do plan on removing those and, you know, just using the the Tailwind stimulus components that I wrote a while back for dropdowns and modals and stuff. But yeah. What have you guys been working on? I've been doing a lot of random stuff. I made a, I released a new Ruby gem into the world. It's called 2JSON and it wrapped. Oh, excuse me, at Monkey Patches, active support. I think that's called Inception. And it calls to JSON, but you can just say to JSON because obviously I needed that. Let's see, what else have I done? Oh, I've been working on a blackjack game with Stimulus Reflex. Kind of. That's exciting. Mentioned that before the call. So is that something that is real time across like two browsers or is it AI or whatever? So it is. Right now, it's just a single game. So, and the way it works is it stores, it uses your session ID to like map to a game in the database. Oh, cool. Yeah. Yeah. So it's just like, it's a single game and. Oh, it looks nice. Yeah. Once it it starts, like, you know, you can refresh, come back to it because it's using your session. Did you find some CSS for the, the cards or something? No. So I made, uh, and I'll link to this on the repo, but like, so I'm or in the show notes, but I made all these cards with CSS. Nice. That's cool. Yeah. And what so, are you doing uh, for the, like, are, are those icons or are those like characters um, that you're rendering for the different suits? Yeah. So I have each suit has a, it's just a string representation. I store it as a constant on my like card model. And it just so happens that that links perfectly to font awesome. Mm-hmm. So when I'm rendering the card, I just pass the suit in as like FA dash and then interpolate nice. card.suit and it renders. Cool. That looks good, dude. I like it. Yeah, it's really cool because I didn't write a single line of JavaScript to do it. It's it's kind of crazy. Like, so like when I hit it, you know, it's just a reflex method. When I stand, it's a reflex method that triggers the game to finish. And yeah, it's pretty cool. Yeah, so that's neat. We have a site called expo.stimulusreflex.com where we store like we put like really cool demos, and this would be perfect to add. And cool. if the repo is public and you're willing to share, I will I will add it for you if you want. But yeah. This is really, really cool. I would love that. I had so much fun doing this. Like, I know, like we were talking before, you know, Chris, you just made a video on Stimulus Reflex. Like, the person who made it comes on our show a lot. So, like, we talk about it a lot. This is the first time I've used it. And, like, I finally get it. Yeah. It, it is awesome. The one thing I want to play with, which I was poking around the expo examples was, and I just haven't done it yet, but the broadcasting. So like, you know, you could make this blackjack game work with multiple players and then broadcast the updates when one person hits and whatever. And then, 
you know, take turns and all that. That'd be pretty cool. That I bet it would my, be much more complex. That was my original plan, especially with us all being like locked in right now, like that I could just send this to like one of my friends and we could just hang play. But then I got, like I always do, I got two in the weeds. And so I was like, I need to just strip this down to like the most generic thing. And so it's really cool because I have one view, one controller, and my views only, you know, I'm using action view component, or excuse me, view component to render the cards. So my only, like my one view is only 34 lines of code. Oh yeah, like your, the main view itself. That's sweet. Yeah, and so I have three models, the game, which really is just a way to store the session ID. I generate a deck when I generate a game. So I just create 52 cards and each card belongs to the game. And then I generate two hands, one for the dealer and one for the player. And so a card can belong to a hand. And those are the only three models I have right now. Dude, yeah, this is like, you know, stupid clean to look at. I like it. Yeah, it's been a lot of fun. I, I used Andrew's favorite interactors to do like all the, <laughs> the, the actual logic in terms of like, because even though there's three models, they all do a lot of like reaching across each other. And so like there wasn't a good one place to do that in like that business, like putting that business logic in the model. You just yeah. do it in one, one giant controller action. This has been cool. And like, since it's like a, the game of blackjack's like pretty easy, all things considered in terms of like how it works. I like, I designed kind of my domain layer without ever doing the views. And so like everything is tested because that's how I put it together. It was like, I would build something and I was like, oh, if I want to see how it works, I'll just write a test for it. It's been really cool. Dude, love it. That'll definitely be a great, it's just like complicated enough that it's like a perfect project to go like in depth on stimulus reflex and view components and stuff like you know it's plenty complex to see how you need to deal with the nuance on little things and then it seems like you should be able to extract this out pretty easily and make like you know a game with multiple players pretty fairly easily i would imagine yeah it's it's been a ton of fun and you're exactly right like there it's just tricky enough because it's like well, when I deal the game, if the player or the dealer has blackjack, like the game's over. But like, if we both have blackjack, then like we push. Like, there's all these like little edge cases. Mm-hmm. Um, and like, when when I draw the dealer's card, like I need to hide the second one. So I was like, well, I'll have like a visible boolean on the uh, card, and I'll just write some logic that if it's the second card for the dealer to hide it. And yeah. Oh yeah. Right. Yeah, that, that reminds me. I've I've got some videos that I haven't published yet, but somebody was asking me a question about like writing classes and, and doing some basic, you know, Ruby stuff. And the example he was like trying to figure out was like writing a, a tic-tac-toe game. And so I kind of walked through it in I think four videos. But building, you know, a tic-tac-toe game that works and then actually refactoring it. And then we go through and like, you know, assume the board is nine squares, like tic-tac-toe always is. But if we refactor it and make that dynamic, we can actually make a board that's 
four squares or, you know, five by five and all of that. So you can build, you know, a dynamic tic-tac-toe game that could be like giant, which is like, you know, simple, but a fun thing to, to like just walk through and like it ends up being more complicated and just complicated enough that you can like reason about things, which was pretty fun. So yeah, I think those, those examples, like on the surface, you're like, oh, these aren't practical, but really they are teaching you like some real world, like struggles on things you're going to have to overcome when you apply this to like something at your day job. Yeah. Yeah. And I've been doing it like I've, I've been, it's small enough that I can like, it may be overkill some of the things I've done, but like I can pick and choose. Like this is the first time I've used components outside of work and like, it just felt really good to use component, like the view component stuff for this. Cause you know, I, I just make a card component and I give it a card and that card knows if it's visible to render the number and the stuff. Otherwise it like shows the back of it. So yeah, it's been fun and it got me really excited about stimulus reflex. So the only other cool thing that I did too is I didn't want to create 52 cards every time you start a new game, but I also didn't want to do 52 SQL updates every time you start a new game. So I used active record import and I learned, I've, I've only used it for actual importing new records, but it has this like conflict mode. So what I did was like, I just shuffled the cards by like ordering by random so I wrote a scope called Shuffled, and it just is a SQL random order. And then I map through that. So I build an array, but I tap into each card and change the position to whatever the index is in the new loop. Mm-hmm. And then I take that map and try and shove it back into card using card.import. And then it conflicts. And it's like, I already have something with an ID. And then you just tell it, oh, it does conflict. We'll just update it then and update the position. Oh, cool. That's yeah. neat. So it's just one update and it's huge, but. Um, <laughs> right. Cool. But that's pretty sweet. That's a yeah. good, like interesting solution to that. Yeah. It's just like a bunch of little things that were like mentally stimulating. So. Yeah, it's a good, and you can like finish this and make it complete in a reasonable amount of time. It's not a project that you like. You start and then you half finish it and you like get the hard part done, but then you're like, the rest of this I don't want to bother with. Like you have a workable game that's like complete now that you can play, which and is that, fun. That was the problem is I kept trying to make it do too much. And so that's when I was like, I'll never finish this. And so yeah, I don't know. I've been it's the first time I've been excited about something I've programmed that's like not a business feature in a long time. So that's why I'm so chatty about it. We were just thinking, like, you could turn this into a, you're a new SaaS startup. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I, I was talking to my coworker, Basil, and he was like, yeah, you could just, like, make this a game site. And I just sent him a mob boss gif. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, you can just start, you know, mine Bitcoin while they have it open. And then, <laughs> you know, also, like, they can they can bet their Bitcoin on on games. And then... Strangely, you always win. It's weird. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's a lot of there's a lot of opportunity here. Uh, yeah, it's an untapped market, obviously. Yeah, so I don't know. It was just fun to write some Ruby, kind of 
mindless in a way, but at the same time, like I had a, a good reason to use stimulus reflex. Yeah, I, I'm excited to check out your code on this. And it feels like one that like, you know, you can go read Jason's code, but like you should also just go build it yourself, see how your code ter- turns out and then go check out his code and see how you did it different. And then like get ideas like, oh, maybe I like mine better in this one area, but like, dang, like he used view components and they're like way nicer than my <laughs> like 52 partial like cards or whatever, you know, that th- there's probably some interesting things like implementing it differently and then being able to compare that. Um, it'd be pretty fun to do. So maybe I'll end up doing that. Yeah. yeah. Well, time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was, uh, I did want to, I want to try and stay as like rails way as possible. And so that's why, like I did start off with a lot of that business logic, like in the models. And then I was like, it just felt hard to keep reaching for things. Like, I don't know, it didn't feel right. But the thing, the probably the most damning thing I did was I used RSpec. Uh, <laughs> this is one of those examples that, like, I think people have to understand this at a point when their apps get complicated enough is that, like, you are building a blackjack game that happens to get rendered on the web. You know, so like the real core of what you built is just a Ruby app that plays Blackjack. And then like it happens to render it out as HTML and it happens to have like data stored in the database. That's not like, that's not anything fancy. And you don't have to, you really should in most complex, you know, business logic and things, you're like just writing plain old Ruby code and you like happen to use the browser to interact with it. So this is probably one of those really good examples that like, yeah, the logic for playing blackjack is complicated enough. It's going to be real gnarly to put in your models. So pulling out your interactors ends up like, oh, cool. We have this like, effectively, you could extract that to like a gem. That's like, now we can, you know, import blackjack and make it a, you know, a command line app or whatever. It really doesn't need it just happens to use, you know, Rails for rendering and storing or something. Like, yeah, it's not, that's not the core of it, which most real applications, that's how it ends up being, you know. I tried to actually do it first without any cards in the database. And I was just making like, you know, Ruby objects and storing them with Active Record, excuse me, with Rails cache. But it got kind of messy kind of quick. So I was like, you can just pass an instance variable around and hope you never lose it. <laughs> you just like hope that you never have a bug and you're just like, well, we'll store it in memory and good luck. <laughs> Another thing I worked on, we talked about a couple of weeks ago, I migrated build help off action text. Oh yeah. I want to hear about this. So I actually paired with Andrew on it on Saturday and I, I ended up buying a WYSIWYG called Redactor and like, Redactor is really good because it just is like the base things for editing, but it has a ton of plugins. And all you have to do to activate the plugin is just import it and say in plugins array, you give it the name of the plugin and it just pops up. So like I wanted to include uh, videos like iframes and that's just a plugin. So I just imported it and said include video and that worked. For migrating, I just wrote a script, like a rake task that went through and rendered out 
the action text stuff just as like one big HTML and just stored it in a database column. So it really wasn't that bad. The thing I was most worried about uh, were like losing images in the process. I didn't lose any. Uh, and the thing that tripped me up the most was image uploading because I wanted to use active storage. And then I considered going to Shrine and Andrew talked me off the ledge. And yeah, but I know like in my JavaScript to render the, the editor, it's probably only 10 lines of actual like the editor and the other 30 or 40 or just have to do with image uploading. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. That's the nice part about like, you know, action text just has that big in and it is a little tricky. It's definitely not as like, it used to be a real uh, like pain to wrap my head around the jQuery file upload back in the day. Like I could never quite understand like how it worked. And I was always, I always felt confused by it, but that's pretty, pretty nice. Like a uh, conversion over. It didn't sound like it was too bad. No, you know, I had, I have a bunch of like classes named tricked content and things like that. But um, while I was there, I went ahead and like styled the editor. Like I turned off its default styles and just defined styles that it can use both in the editor and the front end and like, Oh Yeah. Yeah, so it's, it's at least consistent now and how it looks too. Cool. And that one stores HTML and, and text column just like uh, like if you did, you know, tricks by itself or whatever. Right. Yeah, nice. the hardest part was just getting image uploads to work, but I figured it out, so yeah. Yeah, that's cool. I know, oh, I forget his name already. Dang it. Somebody on, on Twitter mentioned that it sounds like Action taxes like internals are all getting redone. It was, it was Matt. He's, yeah. He has the boring rails blog. Yeah. I think he came across that on GitHub or something and, and mentioned that. So that, that's pretty interesting that that's going to get revamped. I assume that attachables and stuff are going to be roughly the same. Like my rails comp talk is about attachments like YouTube upload or video embeds and mentions and stuff. I assume that probably has to stay the same, but the internals are probably getting a lot more robust. Because like on the GitHub issues last couple of days, someone was asking about like, what if I want to embed something that like, you know, it by default it uses two partial paths. So if like you embed in a user, then it's going to render that when it renders. But there's no like there's no way to separate that out from the regular like if you render at user it's going to render the same template and there's no way to tell if it's being rendered inside of action text rendering so there's no way to like separate those two so you'd be stuck with the exact same partials which you may want to customize like you already want to customize the tricks version because you're going to embed the thumbnail in the editor portion not the actual video iframe you know and so those like Little nuances, I think, will hopefully get teased out. And I'm assuming they're using it for maybe, hey, for storing all the email content, like the HTML emails, maybe. So we'll see. But it sounds like uh, DHH's RailsConf talk is not going to be about the new TurboLinks. And, yeah, I saw that on Twitter. I think it's just a Q&A with Evan now. Uh, okay. Well, that should be out here in what? A week and a half or something. Yeah, I, I set up an online an online event. I set up a calendar event at work 
So if anybody wants to like get together and watch. Yeah. Yeah, that'd be fun. We'll have to do that or something in yeah. uh, the GoRails community. What have you been working on, Andrew? You know, components, a lot of components. Although, so Nate is doing more admin type stuff, so he's not coding as much during the day. And yesterday, I guess it was like five, maybe going on six his time, but it was like seven going on eight my time. And he texted me and he was like, hey, dude, what you doing? And I was like, don't worry about it. <laughs> and he was like, well, I, I want to build a calendar with stimulus reflex. Do you want to pair? And I haven't paired with Nate in a while. So I was like, sure. So we actually use your calendar gem, but then not too long after pulling it in, we actually, we kind of just like stripped off a few things that we needed from it. And then we got rid of the gem and we, it's like a very, very small, it's only a couple, like a hundred or 200 lines of code, but it's like a fully interactive like calendar. I think they want to add it in at CodeFund somewhere. And I guess Eric and Nate were arguing about, you know, what library to use because we have one right now that's like costing us at least three megs of JavaScript and CSS. And Nate was like, we could do this with Stimulus Reflex. We can do all the things that they want to do and have it be our own and have it just be like way simpler. So that came to mind when you guys were talking about Stimulus Reflex. But yeah, your gem is like the best there is for calendars. <laughs> Dude, that, that is super funny because that gem was like, that was the first gem I ever made, I think. And it was just me. There used to be a ta- table four or something was the gem that you would like, if you wanted to make a calendar, it was like, we'll just generate a table that you know happens to be the size of a calendar. Great. So at some point when I was like in college or just after, I was like, I don't know how to make a gem. I need to like, you know, try it. So I was like, maybe I'll just go build a calendar gem. So I did it and it didn't even, it didn't even work. Like there was some like bug that you couldn't use it in another app. I forget what it was. One of the links was broken or something. So I like made the gem and like it worked in my app and uh, I published it. And then like weeks later, three weeks later or something, someone, you know, filed an issue that was like, hey, this doesn't work. And I was like, that's, that's weird. Like someone's using this. I was like, it was never intended to work. So I fixed it. And then here we are, like, I guess maintain the, you know, most popular calendar gem these days. But it's really like, it's funny because it's like, it's so simple. It's just like, we are going to generate a range of dates that we want to display and then slice them by like seven at a time. And that's it. Render those out and yield to a block. Nothing fancy except for the like, you know, little things to make. Your your beloved Hamel is kind of a pain in the butt because if you yield to a block incorrectly, Hamel will just like prepend all that content in a weird spot. And you can't blend ERB and Hamel together because they're like buffers are different. But you could have just stopped it. Your beloved Hamel's a pain in the butt. We didn't need it. Yeah. <laughs> we knew what you're we knew what you're saying. <laughs> so you know, aside from those little things, like that is one of the simplest things that I've I've built. But it's cool to see like how useful it's been over the years for people. 
because I definitely didn't want full calendar or one of those like big JavaScript calendars. I just was like, I need something simple. But there is, you know, benefit, I guess, to to having the JavaScript ones. At least you can more easily have like an event that spans multiple days. You can probably get pretty tricky with some interesting CSS of like, you know, render it three times, but on the first version, like put rounded borders and, you know, extend it over on the right side. So it like merges with the next date. But, you know, I haven't really dealt with much of that. And it was like, not really. It's more of something you can implement if you want to with CSS, but we don't really, we just generate the HTML, not, you know, your, your CSS. So that's cool. Yeah. Well, here, two things. Number one, it's not on Ruby toolbox under calendar things. So you should do that. Or if you don't want to more people using it, then don't. But uh, (laughs) other thing is Nate and I were like breezing through like the logic and we at Stimulus Reflex like working with the toggling, you know, choosing your date range and stuff like that really quickly. The one thing that we came to like a bit of an impasse where (laughs) I'm still unhappy about this is I was like, this is what CSS Grid was built for. I was like, screw this table nonsense. I was like, that is yesteryear once their code back. I was like, CS Grid will shine here. And Nate was like, I don't want... Like, does Bootstrap have CSS Grid? Well, no, but Tailwind does. He's like, well, I don't want to like just add in CSS for this. He's like, and I want this to be super easily grokkable for people who come to look at the demo and yada, yada, all his... like right. He's always right. It's unfortunate, but I was like, CSS Grid was built for this. I was like, it would be so nice. Like some of the things that we were having to try to fix, I was like, CSS Grid wouldn't be an issue. This is an issue as we're using a table. Yeah, that's that's the only problem with... I've thought about doing that at some point, but we either have to like ship our own CSS with it. You know, like you just can't... The table's going to look like a calendar no matter what, which is nice. That was like the main reason why it generates a table. But yeah, I agree. Maybe there's like, you know, maybe I fork the calendars and include like a sample style sheet or something that has grid, you know, the definitions there and then maybe new templates for the the grid version or something. I'm not sure. But yeah, this was like way back before. This gem is, I don't know how old. It is a long long time ago that I worked on that, but it, yeah, well before, well before CSS grid was even a, a, you know, sparkle in someone's eye. (laughs) Well, the other thing you guys said, and if I said this before, stop me, but I don't think I have, uh, we were, I was throwing in all these components, like, like more than 80 view files, I think uh, at this point have components in them. And one thing Eric made note of when he was reviewing a PR, he was like, you know, like this looks terrible in ERB. He's like, we should do, we should move to Slimmer Hamel. He's like, you would like that, right? And I was like, oh yeah, I would. I was like, I'd like that a lot. Oh, you, and yeah, you messaged us about this. Did I message y'all? Yeah. Well, we started to do it and Nate was like, whatever, you guys do what you want to do. So we started to do it and I tried to, I tried to run a like a uh, an auto converter to convert all the views from ERB to Slim, and I tried several, and none of them were going to do it. 
And then I was like, I'm way too lazy to, to go view by view. I was like, I, I will not do that. And then we talked back and forth about a few other things. And I was like, no, I was like, I'm pulling the plug on this. I was like, we're, we're staying in ERB. And I told this to Nate and he, he looked at me. He's like, I'm really proud of you. He's like, I, th- I think at this point, like he's, he said something like, oh, Nate. I was like, I haven't received this much validation in a while. <laughs> <laughs> that is hilarious. Oh, well. So the takeaway is that you're team ERB now. I mean, Out of if you're already in ERB, it's probably going to be a pain to move everything over. <laughs> so start with Slim. Be smart. So Pody, is in, Pody is mostly in Hamel. And we're re, now that we, like, we're rewriting most of our UI code, but not like just going back through and updating it all. We're just writing new screens like as we need to work on a new page. And we're doing it in Bootstrap 4, a very heavily modified version of Bootstrap 4. And we have decided as a team to go to ERB, but it's not, it's not like a thing where we would go back and just update Hamill to ERB like for preference. Like, right. It's like while we're here, we'll just right. go ahead and moving forward, we'll do this. Yeah. We talked about, well, not when I say we, I mean, Eric was like, well, we could just live in both worlds, like have some of them in slim and some of the ERB and we'll just like incrementally move them over. I'm like, no, I was like, I will not, I will not have one foot in and one foot out. I was like, I'm either all or nothing. I was like, there's no in between. I was like, I I can't do that. I was like, I'd rather, I'd rather have nothing than have both. But I pulled up, I pulled up the simple calendar. Ruby Gems page. I published the first version February 4th of 2012. That was so long ago. (laughs) I was still in high school. (laughs) Yeah, that's like a year. I graduated in college in 2011. So yeah, it was like the year after. But what's crazy is it has gotten 581,000 downloads. So almost like 600,000. And I guess all out of all my gems, which I don't really have too many downloads for most of these, like Hot Garbage has 324 downloads, but it doesn't do anything. I've hit 1.03 million downloads on Ruby Gems, which is insane. That is crazy. Nice. Yeah, that, that is weird. A lot of those are probably like all these like for... Oh, Madman's in there, Jason. Oh, oh man. <laughs> what, what is time? Yeah, I wish we had time to work on that. Man. Uh, some days I still want to do that, but yeah, we'll see. I still want to do it. I just... I don't want to actually write the code for it. Well, it's like, like we like... Idea. Like we went ham before RailsConf. We got to RailsConf. We went ham on it at RailsConf. And then like we hit like a bunch of questions and it was like, nah, I'm done. Yeah. It is it's one of those projects that's like pretty complicated. So it is what it is. I'm like fairly happy with administrate for the most part. I just wish there were a few things in there that were more Rails standard things like active storage features and other things should just be baked in to the admin if it's a Rails specific admin, I feel like. So 
I run a fork of administrate now, which kind of gets me by while Madman sits collecting dust. <laughs> I was trying to log into Ruby Gems, but apparently my password's wrong. So things are going pretty well for me today. I've I forget when it was, but when they added the two factor on there, I like did that. But then my Ruby Gems install locally was like an earlier version that didn't support two factor. Mm-hmm. So like if you go to publish a gem, you just you just have it hang there where it's like waiting for your two-factor code, but there's no prompt for it. I forget what version it was they added that, but I enabled it and I was like, dang it, like, did I break everything? And then I, I had trouble like upgrading to one that did support it, but everything's good now. I lost my 2FA password for the longest time. And I I had scoured everything I could think of. Like I looked everywhere. I was like, all the places it could possibly be. I like even looked back in my old iCloud files. I was like, I have no idea what I did with this. And it was actually in Google Authenticator the entire time. I just completely forgot. I, I don't know why I didn't assume it was there. That's funny. I'm using Authy now for everything, but... I used to use Google Authenticator, but it doesn't. Does it sync your stuff or back it, it up? Because I don't know. I, think, I hate it so much. Yeah, I think on my last phone I had Google Authenticator stuff, and then I like lost them all, and I was like, "Well, there goes those accounts." <laughs> I use uh, One Passwords Auth stuff there. Oh, okay. cool! I need you to. Sh- I I have One Password. I tried to do that. I have it. I thought I did it on GitLab. And inevitably, every single time, I have to enter one of my recovery codes on GitLab. So you, at some point, I need to get you to show me how to do that. Because I would much rather do that. When we hang up. The other thing I want to mention before we go, real quick, unless anybody has anything else. In Ruby Weekly today, of course, this will be a week old by the time it comes out. But I saw Matt's is doing GitHub sponsorships now. Yep. So sponsored Matt's seems like an easy way to show my love and appreciation. Yeah, that's pretty awesome. GitHub sponsors is, I think, going over really well, it seems like. It's just like where your code is and where you're hanging out already. So it's such a natural place to just go and and sponsor people rather than going to some third-party thing. It's kind of nice. tricky, though, because since I already pay for GitHub and I already sponsor people, it's so easy to just be like, oh, yeah. Yep, there's another... 20 bucks a month gone. <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah. Oh, GitHub. I'm still, I'm still so salty that at, at, at one point, I'm not even going to go into the entire details. There's a very long backstory to the story that I'm admitting here just for reference. But we were in talks with GitHub at GitHub Satellite last year or this year or whatever to basically help fund people through like putting our ads on their readmes and like if you've seen a code fund ad you know it's very like non-intrusive and the ads that we were putting on the readmes was literally just like a text line pretty much and they were like yeah 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 like this is cool like as long as it doesn't violate our like policies and whatever like this is fine like we're basically giving you the thumbs up on this and then like a week after GitHub Universe, they like email us. They're like, yeah, never mind. You can't do that. And all the places that you are doing it right now, you need to take that down right now. <laughs> oh, wow. man. Somebody talk to their lawyers. 
Yeah, someone said something <laughs> to someone, but it was unfortunate. <laughs> it was going to be, I thought it was going to be like a really humongous market that we were about to jump into. Nate made a really cool, he made like a, like a, a SVG scrubber of some sort. There's some gem he has. I'll, I'll link it in the show notes, but he made some really cool gem for that integration too. That would like scrub your SVG or like sanitize your SVGs. Huh, that's cool. That, that was one of the upgrades I was trying to do with the Go Rails update was switch, you know, all the... I was going to try and maybe get rid of Awesome on there and just have inline SVGs for all my icons. But as much as I love the Zondicons and hero icons from Tailwind and Steve, they just don't have every single icon I could ever want like Fauna Awesome does. So I tried to switch as many over as I could, but I still got some. But it, it was nice to go through and like minify the... It's fun to minify an SVG. You're like, here's a, ba- a bunch of random characters and numbers. And then I put it through this thing and there's less. That's neat. <laughs> and it's still the same thing when we're done. Here's something that I may or may not be working on. I don't know yet. I I am either going to do this not in the app and do it in like CloudFront or whatever, but I want to be able to uh, minify images with active storage when you upload them. But I feel like it's just going to be a ginormous pain and I'm just going to do it with CloudFront or something like that. Jason's nodding his head very enthusiastically. So I'm just going to go ahead and say, never mind. I'm not doing that. Although it's a <laughs> nice thought. No, it sounds really cool. Uh, for, so for me, I think I could do that or I could hand it off to someone else who's a lot better at than I am at doing that kind of thing. Yeah, but I, I don't like, know how to use Amazon. I, feel oh, like I don't either. Could, I feel like you could write a, a GitHub action to write a reminder for yourself to write a GitHub action to automatically minify the images that are added. That'd be kind of cool, actually. Yeah. I'll just do that. <laughs> Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> you just need to write the GitHub action to send you a reminder to write the GitHub action first. Oh, I got that. That's in the <laughs> pipeline. I just got to remember to do it. <laughs> well, anything else this week? Nothing from me. Nothing from me. Uh, it's weird that it feels like Friday because we always record on Fridays, but it's Thursday. Yeah. I don't like it. I'm not a fan either. <laughs> it's throwing me off. But I like woke up this morning and I was like, oh, it's Friday. Sweet. And I was like, no, it's not. Internal <laughs> screaming. I'll just pretend that tomorrow's Saturday and just not work. There you go. Same. Yeah. <laughs> I hope you hear this, Nate. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> cool. Well, good to catch up with y'all. Yep, good to have you back. Talk next week. See ya. Later. This podcast is brought to you by our friends at Linode. With 11 data centers worldwide, including their newest data center in Sydney, Australia, enterprise-grade hardware, S3-compatible storage option, and their next-generation network, Linode delivers the performance you expect at a price that you don't. Get started on Linode today by going to linode.com forward slash remote ruby.